Throughout the Mondays in Lent, we've been looking at the arrest and the trial of Jesus as it is depicted in the Gospel of John. We come now to the 19th chapter, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I can find no cause against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And the chief priests and the police saw him. They shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has claimed to be the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Holy God, we've gathered here in search of your own holy word. Be gracious to our seeking, we pray. In the name of the word made flesh. Amen. Certainly, Pilate had higher aspirations than serving as the governor of the dusty crossroads known as Judea. If he was ever going to make it back to a high office in beautiful Rome, he was going to have to do well there in Judea. His emperor was Tiberius, but we have no record that Tiberius even knew Pilate's name because he was a rather low-ranking official in the civil service. So Pilate, again, had to succeed in Judea just to get noticed. But soon after arriving in Judea, he discovered that it was a hard place to govern because of the crowds, especially the religious crowd. Not long after he arrived, according to Josephus, he had banners hung up in Jerusalem with an image of Tiberius on them. The religious crowd revolted, Josephus says, baring their necks, saying that they would rather die than have these idols desecrate their holy city. Before long, a memo came from Rome telling Pilate to take the banners down. His next governing fiasco came when he tried to respond to the crowd's demand for clean water, but Rome wouldn't pay for a new aqueduct. So Pilate launched the construction project, trying to pay for it with the temple treasury. Another revolt, another memo from Rome to knock off the aqueduct project. Like Pilate, we, we all have dreams. Dreams that maybe provide a vague sense of where you're heading, where you want to head, a very clear sense of where you want to leave. <laughs> Pilate's problem was that he needed the crowd to make his dreams come true. So who's really 
Pilate's king. I don't think it's actually Tiberius. I think the ruler of this crowd in Judea is ruled by the crowd. They're the ones who are his ticket to success. They're the ones who decide if he will succeed with his dreams or not. Pilate needs the crowd. So do we. We too are dependent on others if our dreams are going to come true. The crowd that you depend upon for your success may be your family or your friends, it may be the other students around you, it may be the professors who evaluate your work, the admissions committee that decides if you get accepted into a graduate program, your crowd in the future may be the congregation that you try to serve or the ministry that you are trying to lead. You'd be horrified to think that this crowd is your king, but that is exactly what it is if it is the secret to your dreams coming true. What kind of power do you give the crowd? Early one Friday morning, religious crowd now brings a Galilean rabbi to Pilate's front door, Jesus of Nazareth. They tell Pilate that this man is a criminal. So Pilate takes him inside and begins to interview him. He finds that he's done nothing wrong. He goes back and says that to the crowd more than once. But they keep demanding that Pilate crucify this man. The Gospel of John depicts Pilate going back and forth between Jesus and the crowd five times. Inside, he's drawn closer and closer into a clear understanding of who Jesus is. They even have a fascinating conversation about Jesus maybe being a king. Pilate's so intrigued by that. Are you a king? Outside. He keeps hearing the same voices, growing harsher and harsher, demanding that Pilate crucify this man. It's as if, as he goes back and forth, John is depicting an internal struggle that's unfolding in Pilate's own soul. With whom will he stand, this innocent man or the crowd? All of us have to make a choice about where we will stand with Jesus or the crowd. If you want to serve King Jesus, if you want to devote your life to, to this kingdom of, of peace and justice, a kingdom of, of healing and restoration, of forgiveness and reconciliation, if you want your life to to be devoted to something that can make an eternity of difference, you cannot then also be devoted to keeping the crowd happy. Jesus loved the crowd, but he never tried to make the crowd happy. I like that sentence, I wanna say that again. <laughs> Jesus loved the crowd but he never tried to make the crowd happy. And if you find that you are dependent 
on a crowd for your dreams to come true, then you've got the wrong dreams. Jesus or the crowd. You'll be amazed how many times in your ministry and in your leadership you're going to confront that question. Jesus or the crowd, who is your real savior? Who is the source of your hope? Who is the one that is offering you a call worthy of your life? Jesus or the crowd? We have been looking at these homilies under the title, The the Trial of Jesus. But now it becomes pretty clear that this isn't really about Jesus. It's actually Pilate and you and me who are on trial. And Pilate is found guilty of selling his soul to the crowd. He sentenced Jesus to death, and he sentenced himself to being a slave to a crowd that he would never please. The tragic irony is that when Emperor Tiberius died, Pilate was still stuck in Judea. And again, we have no record that the king he was trying to impress ever knew his name. But King Jesus knew Pilate very well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.